All show participants, including myself, are to the best of our abilities and intentions here to engage in informative discussions about any and all facets surrounding mental health issues with integrity, sensitivity, and honesty. As your host, I am here to start the conversation and help, but all of my opinions are of my own and not to be substituted for professional medical expertise or treatment. I am not a medical expert, and while my opinions on this show are intended to bring positivity, change, and help to my audience, some of them might not be agreeable to you. Know that these opinions and experiences are only shared with the soul and express intent to help you start the journey toward a better day, not to hurt, offend, or discredit. And with that, let's start the show. How are we today, everybody? I am your host, Tyler Coe. I hope you're having a really good day. I want to welcome you to my mental health show. And on today's show, I do want to start this off at the top with a little bit of a disclaimer, a little bit of a warning. Um, today we're on the show, we're going to be talking about PTSD. So I, I do want to say that viewer discretion is heavily advised. Not to say that it's going to get too heavy as far as our conversation goes, but that is going to be the topic. So if you feel like that is something that could potentially trigger you, or if you are not in a state right now to be able to handle such an occurrence, I think it'd be okay to sit this one out. Uh, no harm, no foul. Of course, we'd love for you to be here. Um, but it is something that can be quite heavy. It can be quite a sensitive subject with everything going on in the world. So if you just want to sit this one out or watch the VOD when it comes out, please do so. No biggie whatsoever. Um, so with that, though, if you do want to stick around for the conversation, um, I'm having my friend Josh Flanagan on today for a quick sit and chat talking about just that. And, you know, guys, I, I think when it comes to PTSD, uh, PTSD, I think it's something that we as a people still don't understand how widespread it is or how prevalent it can be in different types of groups of people. I think we've all probably joked, and I'm not doing this to shame anybody because I've done it myself, but a lot of us have joked about a thing that gives us PTSD. Um, you know, like, oh my gosh, uh, oh my gosh, don't even let me get going on that place. It gives me such PTSD or, oh my gosh, I'm having flashbacks now when you brought that up. I mean, I've joked about it with my favorite college football team not winning games. And I know that's kind of all in jest and I'm not saying that to, you know, to make anybody feel bad, but it is to bring up and have us notice that some of those things that we do joke about, some of those things that we would have no idea could be a traumatic experience for somebody are. And I think when we're looking at the word PTSD, those first two, post-traumatic, the trauma right there, trauma. Trauma can be so many different things. And I think when we first think of PTSD, what do we think of first? We automatically go to war, right? We go to soldiers, we go to people that experience war, but we know that trauma can also come in different forms of violence. And unfortunately, we know all too well how many different kinds of abuse exist, right? So even on top of that, natural disasters, accidents, global uh, catastrophes. I mean, think about what we're dealing with right now during this pandemic. So all of those things, all of those things can attribute to it. And most likely, it's something that you've already experienced or that you will, because that's at least what the stats say. Because here in America, at least 8% of Americans will have PTSD in their lifetime or experience it in their lifetime. And in a given year, that's about 8 million people. So to put that into perspective, 
The prevalence of PTSD within the United States is equivalent to the population of Texas. That's a big state, big state, Texas. And, you know, as I've said before on the show about other different afflictions, that's, those are only the cases that were documented. So you and I know full well that how could we possibly even account for everyone when sometimes they don't even know if they've been through a traumatic event, especially if it happened to you or happened to them at an early age. Those are things that we can't even cognitively like tap into. Like our bodies remember, it's in our minds, but it's so repressed that the only thing we have are symptoms that we can't explain. So, I mean, that's the negative, unfortunately, when it comes to PTSD, that so many people can pinpoint the event, right? They can go back and locate where the traumatic event happened. But for so many others, they have no idea, right? The rest of us, no clue. Could have. I have the same symptoms as somebody with PTSD, but I don't know if I can really recall something. And maybe it's a traumatic event that we buddy up to every day and we just don't know. We just think it's the thing that gives us anxiety or depression or causes us to lose sleep. And on the flip side, which is the positive side of things with all of this that we're talking about right now, is that those who do get treatment for their symptoms of PTSD overwhelmingly improve their well-being. Overwhelmingly. Through medication and psychotherapies or a combination of both, you can begin that process of healing that trauma and there's high success rates for it. So even though I've done um, a ton of my own research on this affliction, this is something that I can't really speak to. You know, I, I don't know the identifiers that would lead to a diagnosis. You know, I, I don't know how to even begin to process symptoms. I'm curious to my own past if I've even struggled with anything. Some, like I said, we have things in different buckets. It could just be that. It could be something else. I have no idea. So maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe it's something you're already dealing with right now. Um, maybe you know what some of the answers are. But I figure on today's show, we get on somebody that can speak to literally all of that. So uh, he is a tremendous human being. He is a really good friend of mine. He, he has a fascinating story filled with him, and he's uber talented to boot. So he's a writer, director, showrunner, comedian. He's a veteran. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving out a, a bunch, but... Um, I do want to welcome on to the show our good friend Josh Flanagan. So Josh, how are we today, my friend? I'm doing well. I uh, I can't see the chat, so can I just call out random people? Just like thanks, thanks Matt Hullum for subscribing, <laughs> you know, or whoever. Yeah. Uh, just, I just picked that name out of the air. Yes, uh, Matt Hullum is in the chat. Everybody's in the chat. All of our friends, Josh, are are here. Um, it's good to see you, man. You look good. You're sounding good. Um, how have you been this year thus far? Good. I, you know, it's weird. I feel like, I mean, I, I guess we're coming out of the COVID stuff, but I was one of the few people I feel like who flourished in isolation. And part of that might be PTSD and that I function better in, in like a introvert environment. But like I got fit. I know a lot of people put on like the, what did they call it? Like the COVID-15 or there was some some nickname um uh but I I lost weight I got really fit because I stopped eating out so much because nothing look, was open you look great man thank you um and it's been weirdly productive I got a lot of writing done because what better place to write stuff than in a, a dark room so yeah no, that was a weirdly productive time for me well, I'm glad. It's good to see you smiling. It's good to see you happy. I mean, I just saw you recently, and uh, it's always good to do that. Um, and so I, I, I thought we could kind of start off not too, not, 
you know, I don't want to purposely start off on a heavy note, but, and I don't want to say that the timing of having you on is great because there is nothing great about what's going on in Afghanistan, but as a veteran of Afghanistan, um, I imagine that this, these past few weeks have been very difficult to process that maybe they have triggered emotions of you, or if you have buddies, uh, that also serve that it's, it's triggered stuff in them. I'm sure there's a ton of different people, whether it was, um, service on a human humanitarian level or military level. Uh, it's been a, it's been a tough couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and so, and to clarify, I was in Iraq, uh, but I Excuse know me. a lot of people who, who was in Afghanistan. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny. I was, so I, I actually took a, a job during the pandemic where I was working with a veteran entertainment company that, that focused a lot on dark humor and how that's kind of cathartic for people that, that suffer from PTSD and just kind of the general stresses of military life. Cause even just being in, in garrison in the military is a pretty, like for anyone to have that much control over your life is, is pretty intense. You know, you show up late to work in the civilian world, you get fired, you show up late to work uh, in the military, they can dock your pay. Theoretically, they could throw you in jail. Like it's, it's a pretty wild level of, of stress, I think. Um, but so I was, I was around a lot of vets for the first time in a long time um, in the last year. And there was already this sentiment that Iraq and Afghanistan had already morphed into the Vietnam of our generation. And I don't, you know, I, I, that might be a severe comparison. I don't think, you know, I was, I was infantry. I was an infantryman. And so I did a lot of ground combat. I was in Iraq 2003 to 2004. Um, so very much, I mean, right at the start of the war, first year of the war, I was there 12 full months. I was a machine gunner. I was a Bradley gunner. Um, and I, I officially labeled 70% disabled uh, rating for, for PTSD alone, much less kind of how that battered my, my body. Um, and I was 19 when I went. I was 18 when I signed up, and I was 19 when I went to war. Um, so um, despite everything I went through, I, I still don't think it quite compares to the level of Vietnam in terms of, I think, the type of warfare they went through. I think that jungle warfare is, is unreal. Um, and also, we obviously got a much better reception coming back. I think that's the one thing maybe the country learned from Vietnam was was to you know respect the soldiers and kind of separate them from the conflicts themselves. All that to say, this last year and especially what's happened in the last few weeks, it is hard not to go, wow, what I mean, what the fuck? Can I say that on here? I don't know if I can curse. Yeah, um, absolutely. What, what what did we fight for? What was all this for? And I can tell you, even before these few weeks, I was already having those conversations within the last year of people who'd already kind of thrown in the towel and said, I don't know what the point of any of this was. I don't know. You know, 10 years ago, I was already thinking this. It's so prevalent, in fact, that the emails and a lot of the correspondence I was getting from the, the VA, because uh, I'd go to the VA for a lot of my care, um, were basically like, please don't kill yourself because of what's happening in Afghanistan. Like that was sort of the underlying thing, which is weirdly hilarious but also like sad like it's a weird which i think is a lot of you know the the weird mindset you get in with any trauma is you find some things really darkly funny and then there's also i think they're funny because there's very genuine pain underneath it that you're trying to work through you know well i think there's there's a bunch of different processes that all of us can kind of take and one of those is dark humor right it's like budding up next to this horrible dark thing that's in your life and giving a little bit of levity to it can really help. Um, that's encouraging to hear that. I mean, that's what you guys are doing. Um, 
And is that you just mentioned right there, like you go to the VA for help. What what is that like for you? And what have you seen from others there that go there? Like, what what is that? Is that therapeutic? Um, is it just simply having conversations like you're talking about? Or what is that exactly is that? So, so I live in Austin. Uh, and we actually have a really good VA outpatient clinic here. It's not, it doesn't have all the services. Sometimes I have to drive to Temple or Waco to get some stuff done. Um, but a really nice facility, pretty easy to schedule stuff, um, despite kind of the horror stories you hear. So I'm sure there's areas where, you know, a lot of people probably converge at the same facility and, and their scheduling nightmares and whatever else. But I have an overall really good experience. Um, there's a lot of resources there. You can, you know, I, I went through... Um, I'd go for a lot of my basic care, but early on, and this took me time to, to figure out. So I have this, this disability rating. I got rated that in 2013, 10 years after I got back from the war, because I thought I could deal with all this stuff myself. And that was, I think the wrong move for me and, and the, and it was hard and you know i finally ended up seeking help and one of the first things and i kind of go back and talk through some of that in a second but uh, per the va one of the first things they did for me when i when i came in was i went through what's called exposure therapy which is where you talk through your basically your worst experiences you even tape record it and then you back in when we were still doing tapes probably all digital now but um, and then you listen to it. You just listen to yourself tell your worst stories over and over again. And I don't know if that works for everyone, but I found that to be pretty effective and to be able to help me talk to other people about my experiences, whether they're a veteran or not. It's very easy, I think, when someone's a veteran. And I think, as you've known me for, for quite a while now, um, actually, you, I think you've known me since about then, 2013, 2014, maybe. Um, the I'm pretty open, even when I was with rooster teeth about my my combat experiences and i think a big piece of that was going through exposure therapy and learning how to talk about stuff because there is a weird stigma of and i think you see this a lot with death too where like people just don't want to talk about trauma or like they don't want to hear about it you make other people uncomfortable by wanting to talk about you know trauma or, or the death which i think causes a lot of trauma you know like a family death or something which is weird on multiple counts because it's like, well, what else am I thinking about right now? Because this is the biggest thing in my life. And it's also theoretically like one of the most interesting things that's ever happened as well. Like who doesn't want to hear about war stuff? Like it is a fascinating thing. But at the same time, people really, you just have trouble getting people who want to hear that stuff. And I think that's a big thing I experienced once I got out of the military in 2005 and went straight to college was I was suddenly, I was a 21-year-old combat vet and I was around 18 year olds who were learning to do their laundry for the first time. And I was like, I'm going to strangle all these motherfuckers. Like, you know, like it was, <laughs> it was not good. If you had known me in my early twenties, I, I feel like I was not a very nice person uh, for a lot of reasons. But I think, I mean, obviously there would be a huge disconnect and we we've talked about this before on uh, the show, kind of two different facets, right? That when communicating with other people about what's going on with you is one, there can be a compassion fatigue where somebody just can't keep taking that in. Like, Josh, this is all you're talking about all the time, man. I just, I can't anymore. And then there's somebody, yeah, they just don't know how to touch it, but it is a healing thing for you, like you said. And I think that's why, you know, I'm doing the show and everybody's involved in it is because we can have that communal thing, kind of like you find at the VA that like, man, it feels good to hear it. 
you get excited when somebody talks about it. And maybe excited is not the right word, but I think you've probably seen it with your uh, um, w- with people there at the VA of like, good, yeah, get this out, right? Like, get this out. This is good that I'm hearing it. Um, and you know, the other thing you mentioned, Josh, is that we've talked about this before, is that the average time period between uh, onset of symptoms with a mental affliction and then when you get treatment is 11 years. So unfortunately, you also fall into that category as well. By, pretty good, pretty by, close. <laughs> pretty close. You're one year off, man. You, actually, you did yeah. good. You got you got in earlier. Yeah. No, they say I'm faster than the average man, so that that tracks. <laughs> um, kind of going back to for our audience, because um, you you touched on this a few times, but if you could kind of go in a little bit deeper, when you talk about the disability rating, mm-hmm. is that specifically just talking about your? PTSD symptoms? Is that PTSD period? Or is there other things that go along with that? So when you get a disability rating, there's probably a government version of this too. Um, But when you get one from the military specifically, um, it's broken into pieces. And then there's it, the math adds up really weird to give you an overall one. But when I speak to the 70% for PTSD, that's just for PTSD. So that's for anxiety attacks. That's for weird body symptoms. You know, it, it does weird things to your health. Like there's a really strong, so I have something called um, small fiber neuropathy, which is really common in PTSD people. It's not a hereditary thing to my knowledge. Um, but it just makes you basically have un it's kind of like fibromyalgia you just get random nerve pains and they will just like shut you down for the day like you're just it's like you're getting shocked all day and you have no idea why you don't know what brought it on and it's usually correlates with when your stress is really high or when you're coming it's just some similar kind of like tells to panic attacks um so i have that um nightmares like so all of that combined they don't break that out they do package that all as PTSD. But when I say 70%, that's just for PTSD. So my actual overall disability rating is 80%. And that's because I also have pretty banged up knees from carrying a 27 pound machine gun for a year. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it adds up, but yeah, 70% just for PTSD. So it's pretty wow. intense. I pretty, and I, you know, I, this is not a bragging point, but I think people are a lot of times surprised to hear that about me. Cause I don't, I think I hide it pretty well. Like I'm pretty good about turning on my performer mode like right now um and and then just you know crying alone in a bathroom like when the time comes so or you know just staying up all night by myself in the office or something to kind of like ward it off I, it's weird when i was working at the veteran company actually the the boss was basically like every time he introduced me he was like yeah josh was uh, in iraq like he's an infantry iraq for my vet but you wouldn't know that from talking to him i'm like i, I think that's pretty accurate weirdly well, I think it's a, it's it's a little bit of half, right? When you're talking about you turning on the entertainment thing, because I get that too, man. Like wearing the mask, like what which one do I need to wear for Tyler's show tonight? Do I yeah. need to be really upbeat or whatnot? But I think it's a little bit of both, and I, that's one of the biggest reasons I like having people like you on the show is that to show others that it it might be having to turn it on sometimes, but you're genuinely working your process. You've been getting better. You've had a wildly successful life and like you live a happy one. And I think that's really important for people to see who are just at the beginning of their journeys, no matter what it is, especially though, when it comes to PTSD, when we're, when we're talking about sexual assault, when we're talking about violence in the home is that it does get better. So thank you even just being on to show people that it does 
get better. Um, and I've been fascinated to hear about kind of uh, the things that you do to kind of get there. So what, if you could enlighten us, what are some of those things besides the exposure therapy? Uh, are there other things that you've been doing in your life that really help? Tricks, tips, um, you know, exercises, whether it's physical or mental that you do that have gotten you to this point? Sure. And I do want to clarify, I don't know that I've had a wildly successful life. I'm not Tiger King or something. <laughs> I'm saying you've, it's in my opinion, and it's a, it's everybody else's. You are a very successful guy for what you've been able to do, um, being the writer and director that you are on the shows that you made. And I know success comes in different forms. It's all subjective. But you're just going to have to take the love that I just gave you, Josh. You're going to have to accept it inside and you yeah. just, just, just be okay with it. Yeah, no. I am. I take it. I accept it. I put it on the shelf. Um, the so okay, yeah, tips and tr hot tips and tricks. I hope you can throw some graphics up here. Boom! Like, I'm gonna do like, it. Yes. Like a boing sound. Um, no, I think you know knowing, like knowing what your I wouldn't say necessarily triggers, but just kind of maybe knowing what your limits are helps a lot. Like I'm I'm very aware that I don't do well in prolonged and crowds for prolonged periods of time, right? I just don't, I'll start to like melt down basically. And so, which makes things like RTX really hard, right? Which is the Rooster Teeth um, Expo where you're meeting fans all day because I was a personality there as well. So those are very full weekends of panels and things. So I would just have to be very conscious of like, I need to tuck away for 15 minutes. I need to go sit in the stairwell for 15 minutes or be outside, which sometimes is hard because sometimes people even find you in stairwells and you're like, oh shit. Um, but so, so finding those, taking the time for yourself that, you know, you need, I think there's, you know, this is probably somewhat specific to me, but I think, I do think time helps a lot. I think the further you get from something, it's just a little bit easier to lens it. And one of the things I dealt with a lot in my twenties was being angry at people all the time because I had a good friend, uh, who died in Iraq when I was there. He was hit with an RPG and was killed. And he was my roommate and had been my teammate for about a year. And um, I, and he was young too. He was only a year older than me. So he was 20, 20 or 21 when he died. He, he would have been 21. Um, so when I got back and I got into college with all these kids, I just, I hated everybody because I thought, why do you get to be here and 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 be on you know daddy's dime and go to these parties and all these things like i would just walk around parties like seething because i just i was like none of you deserve to be here why is my friend dead and you're still here like you didn't do anything to earn this and like you know so honestly i was never able to talk myself out of that logic like that logic to me still holds. I, I think everyone should do some sort of public service, even if it's not military. I think a lot of people don't do enough public service, don't do enough charity in general. But what the piece I was able to come to for it was I, I cannot waste my life being angry at people all the time. And it's not their fault um, that I feel this way. And so I just kind of had to just basically say it's not worth it to be this angry all the time. And obviously it's the time that passes since a big loss like that helps too. So I know that's a very, very specific anecdote, but that was a realization I came to later on was just like, you kind of have to make your own framing of things and, and, and figure out 
how to move, you know, I don't know. For me, it was just figuring out how to not hate everyone and just saying that that just wasn't worth my energy and I could, it could be better spent making things better. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I tried a variety of stuff and I think a big thing is finding what works for you. I tried, I was on antidepressants for a while and I just, I did not like how I felt on them. I was on Prozac and some other stuff and I just felt very numb. Um, and after and I right now I don't take anything. I don't take anything for depression. I take meds for like diabetes and stuff, but I don't take um any any sort of a, a Prozac or anything. Um and I used to even have pills for like when I would get really bad anxiety attacks, but even those I don't take. And I actually haven't had an anxiety attack, I want to say in like five years. Um That's so, awesome. yeah. And that is similar. That goes to me recognizing when I'm about to hit the limit, you know, and I think that saved me from having pantas because I know even now if I'm in like kind of a warning zone where I'm like, all right, I got to step out right now. I'm going to be in trouble. Um, this isn't quite to that point, but it is a recent epiphany. I, I, because I do use a lot of dark humor and I use it, you know, I've used it a lot for the military, joke about the military a lot. And, um, you know, my dad committed suicide three and a half years ago now and recently so like that i was working on a project about that that was also kind of a comedy and actually one of the first things i did not first but within a couple months of him dying i i went and performed my first and only ever stand-up act and it was all about his his suicide and kind of joking through it and some of the weird funny bumps of that and i was working on a project about him this year and at the same time was working with the veteran company I mentioned. I was looking a lot at dark humor. And I kind of had this epiphany this year where I, I don't, I, I learned that there has to be almost something uplifting at the end of dark humor. Like dark humor is not enough for me now at, at this phase in my life. Dark humor, sometimes it's it can be cathartic, but it can also be really easy and it can be such a clear mask. But if there's real pain and you acknowledge that pain and and you're around other people who understand that pain and there is this idea underneath it all that you are going to get through it uh, or that you feel like you're actually are getting through it um i don't think dark humor can exist in its best form without that without some piece of hope at the end of it that things will get better because they will they 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 always do so i think that's uh that's the best perspective i've heard uh, from somebody to come on the show because that's exactly what it is right there being able to buddy up with that stuff kind of be down in the dark make light of it but then chasing that light to get out of it because yeah there has to be the happy ending why do you think everybody loves ted lasso so much we watch right. all this depressive shit all day on our twitter on our phones on tv people need a little bit of hope um so i appreciate you giving us some today um I think that's a really fascinating thing. You're talking about walking around being angry at other people. And I think a lot of people that are mentally ill can kind of relate to that as far as like kind of the same things you were saying of like, you don't deserve this. And I've even tapped into those emotions. I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners have of like, of that you have no idea how hard my life is conversation, you know, that, that thought, like you just don't even know. You don't even know type thing. And I found right. myself there, and I think you're so right, and I think it's so good for people to hear because it's just constant reinforcement that we do the show, right? That's all I wanted the show to be is like, keep saying it, keep saying it. One of these days is going to hit somebody and it's going to be good. But I was the same way as far as like getting angry and realizing, and it's probably taking me longer than you, <laughs> I think I'm still there, of just <laughs> that anger goes nowhere. It does nothing. It's a stop sign. It, I can't. 
it, there's nothing to do with it. There's nowhere for it to go other than putting it into something creative, putting it into something positive. Like you talked about getting involved in the community, trying to do something to change instead of just sitting there brooding. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, I, I think this is true of even people who aren't necessarily suffering from, from depression or, you know, a specific kind of um, PTSD or anything like that. But I do think just generally when you are unhappy yourself, you almost always project that onto other people, you know, and I even find me myself doing that in, looking at someone else's success sometimes and going like, well, why isn't that me? And then and usually it takes me a little while and I kind of circle back to, well, I just need to make me better. If, if that's what I want to be doing, or sometimes it's not even something I want to be doing. It's just like a random thing of not maybe feeling like you're at where you want to be at and overall and, and watching any kind of successes feels like a, a, you're getting needled, but it's, it's, uh, you know, I, eventually my brain does circle back luckily to going, well, use this as a proactive thing, work, you know, write late tonight, get the script done, get the script done by Friday, get some, get a pitch packet ready, call this guy that you're interested in working with and actually start forging a partnership and things like that. So, and as soon as you start doing that, I feel like a lot of that anger at other people starts to vanish because you realize that the person you were probably angry at is yourself. So. Why do you got to cut so deep, man? Why do you have to <laughs> spit straight truth on this show? That, that's what it is. That's what all of it is, right? For the most part is that you're not angry at them. You're angry at you. Um, yeah. There was a time, and I can't tell too much of the story, but, it, you know, God, it's similar. just triggered this in my head of uh, my time that I spent in AA, uh, which for our international audience, that's Alcoholics Anonymous, which Josh will be surprised. Some of them didn't know. I, I think it's called something different over there. Um, uh. But I specifically remember one time that there was a individual across from me that this person was a complete opposite of me and I hated for whatever reason everything about them I hated everything about them and it just everything they did irked me and their story their voice their t all of it just the way they sat in their chair I was just so pissed and the way that this person talked about relapsing made me want to throw my chair across the room and at at this person uh -huh. <laughs> I was I was fear I still think about how mad I got and it was like it was a level of angry that I've never really felt in my life and all of it and a lot of that stuff kind of going through your process whether it's going to the VA or going to AA or going to your therapist is it's realizing none of that shit is about, is, is about that other person. It had nothing to do with her. I'll say her. It had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with me of like realizing that one little tiny speed bump could fuck up my entire life like it has in the past. Cause I'm not doing the disciplines like you talked about. I'm not focusing on the things that I need to. Um, I think a lot of people can relate to what you talked about and, if that lady is watching, I'm so sorry that I was angry at you. <laughs> it was you never actually threw the chair. So. I never threw the chair. I don't think I would have been invited back to AA. I think that would have been one of the only times they kicked some. You have more problems than AA, sir. You need to leave and go figure those out. Um, man, Josh, that's all good stuff. I I know our people are really appreciating that, and I you know I think also speaking to it as somebody who deals with it like you do in PTSD. What is there something that you wish, because there is that other side of it, right, of being angry at people, but then sometimes it's legitimate to be angry because they refuse to even meet you halfway across the bridge to understand what you're going through. So if yeah. you could tell people when it comes to PTSD, what, what, what could you tell people to like kind of quell the stigmas and the fears about it and the stereotypes? Like what is the message that you, you would give, the dad, give to that to have people understand it? Um, you know, I think when people think of PTSD, they think of, you know, I don't know, someone that like 
chokes their wife in their sleep or something in the middle of a, an episode and you know or someone that has to put their back to a wall in every restaurant you know somebody that's just constantly waiting to be triggered and it's interesting i actually saw a lot of debate uh around was it i think it was fourth of july because that was pretty recent but i always see like there's always kind of a pop of things on twitter where people are complaining about fireworks like oh what is this going to do to veterans blah blah and it's like i I don't care. Like I, I can watch fireworks all day and it doesn't trigger me. Like it's not, and there might be some people that it does. And I've been through plenty of firefights and mortar attacks and all kinds of stuff and had landmines explode right next to me. And you know, it's for whatever reason that just doesn't trigger. I'm sure there's somebody it does, but I think it's a very, um, and I don't know, I don't have any like hot PTSD tips for the casual viewer. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think everybody's crazy. I, I think, well, I'll say this, something that does irk me as a veteran, a combat veteran is when people try to police my language about how I talk about my time in Iraq. Um, you know, whether that's because they're trying to make it like very PC or they're trying to make it whatever. Like, I remember I took some flack once online because I said something like, you know, summers just aren't as exciting as, as, you know, this, and I think I posted a picture of me like manning a 50 cal in Iraq on the back of a Humvee. And there's a lot, I'm going to maybe sound like kind of an asshole right now, but this is one of the way, places I draw a line is if you have not been to war, you do not get to dictate how a veteran talks about their war experience. Like that is, it may sound harsh to you. They may sound like like bloodthirsty mongrels like they might you know I, there's a lot of problems like i mean and there, there's certainly i'm not saying that the way people talk about things is perfect there's obviously a lot of i mean something to think about for instance is when you have to go overseas and are told to kill other people and i have as part of my job as an infantryman there's a lot of people that come back from that and luckily I was able to avoid this, but there are people that come back with that with like basically a deep seated racism, right? Like they hate Middle Eastern people. They hate people specifically from Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm not saying those are good things, but I'm saying that there's, you have asked these men to go over and kill on your behalf, you know, and that is how they rationalized it. They made their enemies subhuman and there's a lot to unpack there. And so I don't think jumping down someone's throat because they speak you know they're they're like the roughnecks you know they're actual like these are fighting men and i think if you haven't been there you cannot fathom the terror of a battlefield it is unbelievable and it's it's simultaneously the worst thing i've been through and also the time i felt most alive because the stakes were so high all the time. Like, you know, if you've ever been in a near-death experience, you've ever gotten in a car wreck or whatever, imagine that feeling stretched for a year and you live there and every day you're like, I might die today. I might totally eat a rocket or something today. So all that to say, a lot of these men come back pretty busted. You know, they come back, you know, not liking Middle Eastern people. They come back not being able to relate to to the average Joe anymore. And, I'll, you know, with time and with, um, and that doesn't excuse bad behavior. Like, you know, it doesn't excuse violence or anything like that. But I think 
you have to understand the severity of the circumstances those people have been through. I say men, but it's women, it's everyone like who's who's been over there and fought. And so it's just, I think just that, I think if, if I could leave anyone with that, it would be just like to understand that it's such a complex thing and that these men did the job and women did the job you asked them to do. And they came back from that really busted and their brains programmed a certain way so they could take people's, they could take human life on behalf of their country. And that is not an easy thing to come back from. So, you know, some patience, some empathy, um, you know, especially in the kind of crazy polarized environment we're in now. So couldn't agree more. Uh, we got to start seeing things as gray instead of black and white. And it's the stuff that we really don't want to sit with and deal with that. That's what we have to do the most is try and understand it especially when it comes to that. Um, well, Josh, man, I appreciate you coming on and sharing all of that. Um, I know that our audience is going to just, they're writing notes down of, of how to work on their own process. Uh, and it was definitely enlightening to me to, to learn about your disability rating. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, yeah. and, and happy to know that you're still working your process. And I think you're a really good example for anybody um, who's trying to get through their own thing, whether it is PTSD related or not, that the path that you've taken to where you were and working it to where you are now, man, it's awesome. I'm just happy to know you as a person. I'm glad all these people get to see you too. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I think one more thing worth mentioning, you know, is that writing can be cathartic too. I don't think we touched on that much, but it's like, I do write about my experiences. You didn't see that much at Rooster Teeth, but a lot of my personal scripts, my spec scripts, and a lot of the stuff I'm working on right now, especially with Dad Project, I have another script that's basically a um, an allegory for my Iraq deployment as well. Like that can be really cathartic and you can end up kind of talking out, you know, everything from writing out what you actually went through to basically writing what you wished would have happened instead can almost be cathartic too. Like, here's what I wish I would have said in that moment. Here's what I wish I would have done. And then having that exist in some version um, can feel weirdly fulfilling at times too. So writing, I think, and just creative stuff in general is a really fascinating way to, I think, process them. I think just just telling your story somehow, whether it's to a friend, whether it's to a therapist, whether it's on the page, it it you need to get it out. You can't sit on it. I think that's funny you mentioned that because last week our homework, Josh, was basically, because um, I was going through a moment, I, w I was kind of going through an episode and I've, I've tried to do writing exercises in the past. Not that I'm a writer on the same level as you, but just this simple act, like you said, of writing. So I'm like, look, dude, you just need to, we got to calm the voices down. I want you to write everything you've ever done in your life on a timer. Don't even think about it. So I just started listing. And it was, it, it got me distracted and it made me feel okay. And so mm -hmm. I shared it here on the show last week. So I had a bunch of our viewers do it as well, but I think those exercises are great. It made me forget, but then it made me remember all the good things. Um, and I mean, I listed, I, I wrote forever and I was shocked, probably like you've done before that you've been writing and you look up at the clock and you're like, oh my God, what have I been doing? Just been going. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately on that list, I did not write um, anything I did with you because I guess it wasn't memorable enough. So I'm, I apologize about that. I can't, I mean, right now I, I, I don't, I can't think of anything I've done with you before this <laughs> podcast. So I don't know. I'm not even sure I know you. Did I get memory wiped? Like what's happening? I, I don't know either, man. I mean, I, I had stories about everybody, but I was trying, fl Flanagan, Flanagan, Flanagan. We did a Doesn't run ring once. A bell. We did a run. Run. 
which is what awesome. We were running, what we were running from, I don't know, but we were running. Oh, I want to say something. I'm not going to say. It. Yes, we were running. It was good. Uh, we we were running with so many fine people. But yeah, that's that's what we did, which is great for your mental health, is to get that physical exercise. Um, <laughs> all right, man. It also makes you hate yourself a little less too. If you if you if you're really not in a good mood, I think getting in shape is a, is a nice way to to boost your morale some too. Absolutely. So. Um, well, you look great, my friend. You're kind of doing it all. So, um, thank you for. I'm unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> I work contract technically, but I like to tell people I'm unemployed because it's more fun. It is more fun. I drop that line all the time to get people to pity me and for me to pity myself, right? Little pity party, um, which I got to work on. Uh, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, and stopping by. You're more than welcome anytime. Uh, I know all of us look forward to your future projects, especially that script that you wrote. I I'm hoping, fingers crossed, somebody picks that one up. I think it'd be amazing to see. So, um, making the rounds now let's see <laughs> awesome man well we'll see you later then cool thanks tyler all right see ya man mr flanagan what a guy i hope you guys had a lot of fun uh listening to josh talk and i, and I told you guys at the top it, it really is a fascinating story to see and know like when i getting to know josh as i have over the years because i used to be his colleague of where he was as a person and where he is now. And it's stories like that that I love. And those are the type of people that I want to have um, on the show to let you guys know that like, and, and it's reinforcement for me too, man. Like that the journey that like we're in it, when you're in the tough times, you can't see the finish. You don't know what, what good times are coming down the road and you can make a, a complete change in your life and be something spectacular, which is what I think Josh is. And I think he spoke to it too. Uh, about something we talk about all the time um, is a little bit of masking and, and people not believing that you're as fucked up as you are because you have it together. And I know that so many of you guys um, that the people in your life, they just can't even, they can't tap into it. Number one, they just can't, they can't even fathom on that level that you would be going through so much pain and hurt and distraction that you could even function the way that you do. But that's so many of us. So when we talk about on the show about waking up at 0%, people don't understand that you can, you have to keep living even if you're at zero. You can have nothing in the tank. You still got to go. Um, and I'm sure for those of you that suffer from PTSD, uh, that seems like a, an unclimbable mountain. And listening to Josh talk about his time, which I thought he brought up a really good point. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to say it while he was on because I don't know if it's uh, appropriate. And I'm not trying to, I don't want to diminish anything he said or just try and make a connection, but I do feel like there is one there when Josh was talking about that you do not get to speak uh, or police the conversation when it comes to a war veteran talking about his experience. And I feel the same way for a lot of other people who try and tell me about my bipolar, try and tell you about your schizophrenia try and tell you about uh, your depression, your anxiety, if they don't experience it and trying to tell you the correct terms to use. So while that, that pales in comparison to the actual experience that Josh was talking about, I do think it is a, a kind of frustration that we can all tap into. I certainly have not liked it in my past when I've had people tell me uh, it's not real or you can't really say those things. Uh, I think a lot of us who are afflict, afflicted by mental illness, uh, we, we love dark humor. It probably hits that funny bone the hardest because that's kind of what we're surrounded by. And it makes it a little bit okay. So um, 
I thought everything Josh had to talk about was spectacular. And again, just like, you know, I didn't tell him we did the writing exercise, but we did it last week. And Josh is telling you, so it works, folks. Um, for those of you that are out there that write, keep writing, right? Um, so I thought that was all spectacular. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you got to catch most of it. If you didn't, don't worry. It's going to be on the VOD, YouTube, everything else. Man. We're lucky to have people like that that um, that have survived like Josh has in more ways than one to kind of bring and give that experience. Because um, I know it's difficult. It's especially difficult with what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Uh, so if you do know somebody in that world, reach out to them. See how they're doing. Make sure that they're doing the things that they need to go do. Uh, you heard... Josh talked about he's been at the VA, so he already knew, you know, taking those proactive steps like he talked about to start working that process. And you just got to keep the faith. I thought Josh, man, talking about like people just pissing him off and that anger, right? That's so many of us. However, we always have to circle back to not only is the anger not good for us, but I know this full well is that I have to circle back to my circle of friends, of family, my support groups. Even when I just want to be walking out on my own, like that's something we all have to do, right? When we let reach that level of anger, when somebody can't comprehend our situation. Um, but man, I hope you guys enjoyed that show. Um, thanks again to Mr. Flanagan for joining us. We're going to do more conversations like this in the future. Uh, with other guests just to have them get on tell their story i think it's so important to hear what all these people have to say um so for your homework this week uh which our homework last week and we're kind of running out of time to recap it but i saw a lot of you guys writing about your experiences writing about your life you know some of you the things that have gone wrong in your life some the things that have gone right um the homework for this coming week is nothing don't do anything I want you guys to take one day and I'm going to try and do it too. I'm really going to try because I know sometimes I come up here and I bullshit, but I'm trying, I'm speaking this into existence. One day this coming week, you can't think about your mental health at all. You don't get to talk about it. You don't get to tap into it. And I know this is easier said than done. That's why it's homework. But I want a day for all of you to not do a damn thing about it. You don't need to be in it. You don't need to think about it. Nothing, just nothing. Whatever those things are that you like to do, just do those things. If you don't have any of those things, you got to go find a thing. You're not allowed to think about your mental health for one day. And I'm thinking about it too soon because I, I'm going to try and do the same, but I never do because I, I mean, one, I think about this show, but like I need to start doing that more often. Um, and you know what? Going back to the comments right now, um, uh, or going back to the comments here in a second for our post show before I wrap up this show, you know, somebody just brought up a really good point about avoiding something, which I think is a really good idea. Um, so with with that being said, thank you guys so much for stopping by. Uh, thank you for joining us for this little sit and chat with Mr. Joshua Flanagan. Tremendous stuff. Uh, and we will see you guys next week, hopefully on our regular schedule, Monday nights at 7 p.m. on Twitch. Love you guys. Hope you have a good day today. I'll see you next time.